This week's episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 7th of September 2022 at home in Wicklow. And it is an interview, a long interview. It's a longy, but a goodie. It's an interview with the illustrator and artist Alan Clark. And we get into it all. It stays very much in the world of art, making art, being an artist. And Alan speaks really, really well uh, about what he has spent his entire adult life doing. Um, Yeah, so I think it's a really good interview. I think you will enjoy it. And I'm not going to waste any more time on this because, as I say, it's a long one. So, um, yeah, let's get on with it. Okay, I'll see you around the corner. Cheers. Not gonna change my mind. Leaving the dream behind. Hi, my name is Dara Clear, and you're listening to The Clear Out. How the hell are you? I'm coming to you between showers. The sun is shining down. <laughs> it's beautiful. And it's going to last about five minutes before the next torrential downpour. Um, this is the uh, this is the September we've been given, and I say let's accept it. Let's not judge it. Let's step into a receptive place and accept what we've been given. So um, yeah, there you are. Another week, and today I have a really great interview. Um, to 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 offer you i speak to alan clark uh illustrator and sculptor who is from the locality Uh, alan and i were in school together a lifetime ago eons ago um i was a few years ahead of alan but um, we lived uh along the same road and as i say we're were classmates of, uh, of one stripe or another. And Alan is an accomplished uh, artist. Um, does beautiful illustrations and amazing sculptures, portrait sculptures. Uh, I will throw a link to his uh, Instagram uh, page um, in, in the description of this episode so you can check out his work for yourself but um, he is producing work of a very very high level fine fine work really really lovely stuff and um, I reached out to Alan a while ago and said Alan come come and talk to me talk to me share share what you know share what you've done share your craft with us and he did so and he speaks really well about the artistic life and what he does and um is very forthright in what he feels is uh, is and isn't art it was great great chat very refreshing to hear someone speak so well about their their chosen field um so that is what is coming up and uh, I think, yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. So I'll give you that in a minute or two. I'm just trying to think what else is um, what else is on my mind. Do you know what's been really nice? 
it's been really nice watching the Ireland women's football team uh, over the last week. They um, they beat Finland last Thursday and Slovakia last night in their World Cup qualifying games, and they've secured themselves a playoff game to to get into the the women's world cup which i think takes place in australia next year i might have that wrong but into the world cup next year anyway so they'll find out they'll find out in a few days who they have to overcome to try and get to the world cup this is an unprecedented achievement in women's soccer in ireland and the scenes last thursday in tala stadium in the west of dublin uh, when they beat finland uh, were brilliant just emotion pure emotion because at that stage they had done enough they knew they'd secured their playoff spot and it's just great they they, they play a nice brand of football they seem like a uh, you know really great bunch of uh, young professionals and it just means it means a lot more i think um because they have a lot less than uh, the you know the, their their male counterparts um and so there's a whole uh, there's a whole different set of conditions that they have battled through to get where they are under the guidance of uh, their coach Vera Pau, who um, seems to be an inspirational figure in her own right. She uh, she came out in, uh, earlier this year, or maybe it was late last year, and spoke about some of her experiences being abused and bullied sexually abused and bullied in different footballing organizations uh, of which she had been a part historically and she just spoke very openly and frankly about it and again you know from listening to me i'm all in favor of that sort of thing get that stuff out there speak about it show the way forward stand up own it be proud uh, and unafraid uh, to share your experience um, it's empowering and it's inspiring to others and she did that while in her capacity as Ireland coach and the evident bond between uh, her charges and herself and her team um, was yeah really really palpable and moving um, uh, to see last week um, and so we just yeah it's great it's great to see and I hope they I hope they make it all the way. So well done them. Well done to those Irish girls. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Uh, that's about it. I don't have anything else to share. And you can see by how long this episode is, it's a long interview uh, coming up. But I think all of it is good stuff. So without, without further ado, here is me talking to Alan Clark. I hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Alan. <laughs> Alan Clark, you're very welcome. Thank welcome. You. Welcome to Hashtag Blessed. That's, uh, that's the name of this particular abode. Um, how, was, uh, how was your journey over today? Uh, it was um, short, I suppose, because I don't live too far away. And it was wet because it's been spilling rain for the last couple of days. Yeah, it was, uh, it was bucketing down. It was. Yeah. Um, it's a nice little drive, though. Actually, I like that. I like that road. Yeah, we live in a very nice part of the country, and it's uh, yeah, it's a nice spin up from Ballinaclash. You came over from uh, Ballinatown, did you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've I've stopped going that way. Oh, why? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm trying to avoid the speed bumps. 
Oh, in in yeah, yeah. Right. there's those two on the, the Valentine Road. I've got a bit of a... They slow me down, I can't stop. I like getting where I have to go. I've got a little knock in the front of the car. No, I don't mean I hit something, but there's something knocking in the yeah. front left wheel. Um, and uh, it kills me going over those speed bumps. And then sometimes driving past um, the local watering hole, um, and there might be a bunch of lads sitting out there having their pints. Yeah. And sometimes I'm just not in the mood to get the, the slow stare as I drive past. Yeah. I'm like, I don't need this energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've taken to uh, going up the up and down the gullet. Oh, yeah. yeah. And just kind of dropping back down. I, yeah. I think it's um, it actually ends up in a bit of a quieter road. Yeah. And it's also beautiful. When you turn off, when you go past um, Albert's Garage, up past, and up past the community hall, and you turn down to the gullet, yeah. it's only like 20 metres down and you hit the bend. Yeah, yeah. That view yeah, it's nice. off that bend yeah, yeah. is just beautiful. Yeah. And, and also it, from the top of the hill there, there's a, a great view all the way around. Yeah, well I was going to say, like generally that aspect, that aspect looking back across clash yeah not your side yeah. <laughs> the other side where you know feelings and up the hill yeah when you for any high up viewing point looking back on that it really is lovely mm. gorgeous yeah, yeah. yeah it is yeah um so anyway and like when when did you um actually that's a that's a good point we, we may have similar beginnings when did your uh, parents fetch up in in Ballin the Clash? Um, Originally, uh, I would say 1973 or thereabouts. Very good. Yeah. So they got in. They were, they were, you were down here before us. But where are your parents from originally? Uh, Dublin. Yeah. 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 Southsiders. No, my mother's a Northsider. My dad's a Southsider. Is that right? Yeah. 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 My mother came from Walford actually originally very, very young. Yeah. Grew up in Dublin. The Northside. Well, that's, yeah. So my, my dad would have been similar. He was born in Kilkenny, yeah. but then grew up in Southside Dublin. Yeah. And my mum grew up Southside as well. But they moved down to Clash. Um, it was 77. All right, okay. Yeah. So um, you were, your parents were part of the very first wave. They were. The first These wave things. of blow-ins, yeah. Yeah, blow-ins. But also, um, now your parents, now I, see, I, I would... I habitually refer to my parents as hippies. Mm. They were definitely hippies. Yeah. Um, now, your parents were creative types. Would you have described them as hippies at yeah, all? I would have, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, remind me, your dad then, he was, a, he was a silversmith. Yeah, he still is, yeah. yeah. Is he still making stuff? He is, yeah. Also, if is it, is it jewellery? No, it? no, it's he... he um, Works with hollowware is his, I suppose, area. So it's it's to do with um, forming, making forms from flat sheets. Okay. Uh, as opposed to like jewellery. He does make jewellery a little bit, but okay. jewellery and the, the matter of being a jeweller is is to do with kind of much finer work, much smaller work, whereas he would work on a larger scale. Like so he's a, what you're saying is he's a crude artist. No, 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 far, far from it, far from it. I mean, there's a lot of hammers, there's a lot of hammering, there's a lot of hammering, but it's, it's all very... Uh, very controlled and very like it's it's. Uh, I think that's the best way to use a hammer. Yeah. With control. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Like it's. it's yeah, go uh, on. So to just just give me give me an example then of a hollow form piece. Uh, a cup or a bowl or a chalice or a, okay. a trophy or. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, a, a sort of vessels, I suppose. Yeah. Um, 
and the food word Nestle. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. and uh, like over the years, like in the early days, he would have done a lot of work for the Catholic Church actually back mm. when they were spending a lot of money on on chalices. And uh, yeah, and exactly on their finery, you know, so yeah. chalices and and um. Croziers and tabernacles and all that. Croziers? Yeah. Holy hell. Yeah. The yeah. weaponry of Catholicism. The weaponry of the bishop. Yeah. Genie, Mac. Yeah. So you're like an armourer for the book, army yeah. of Jesus. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> That's a graphic novel yeah, in yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy God. Yeah, yeah. That's gas. Okay, okay. Yeah. And so, and so, and he still gets like, is it commissions? Is it like. Oh, so over the years, like, he's done, he did like loads and loads and loads of commissioned work um, and also teaching and research as well and, oh, and okay. he's still doing all of those things yeah um, the I, I just mentioned the Catholic Church like the Catholic Church as a as a commissioning body if you like is gone like they, right. don't, they don't do that anymore or certainly at a very low level um, but there are people out there um, commissioning pieces and stuff like that you know and, yeah and so he does that and he he still does um, he does lots of teaching and and then um, kind of research and research into things like um metalworking techniques from antiquity and, okay. and that kind of thing like you know, yeah so um, going back kind of i mean was there a silver age like bronze no age? bronze age and iron age yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um silver and, and silver and copper like they share a lot of characteristics and how they're worked so okay so yeah um, copper obviously is one of the is the main component of bronze so yes um uh, I suppose silver would have been worked at that time as well, okay. and, and gold. But your father has he he stayed like exclusively with silver through the years. No, no, no. Uh, like it, it's the 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 term is silversmith, but actually, like silver is a, is an expensive metal, as is gold even more so. So yeah, he's not there sort of making things out of silver for fun, if you know what I mean. Yeah. The the silver the. If something is commissioned in silver, he'll buy exactly the right amount of silver and, right. and make that, and then that's it. No wastage. No wastage. No, 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 and no, no sort of huge sheets of silver lying around the house. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. Uh, well. Copper. So, so like, um, research and practice and stuff like that is done with copper because okay. copper is relatively very cheap. Yeah. Um, and the characteristics are, are very similar. So. It's it's relatively cheap, but it's still um quite a, a sought after material. It, it is um, it is in yeah. volume, but like if you want to make say a, a bowl out of silver, you yeah. only need a, a, a piece that's half the size of a sheet of paper, you know. So yeah, it's that won't huh. cost you very much, like you know. And who who needs silver bowls? Well, who doesn't need silver bowls? Do you, do you that, that is that is the question. That, well, you know, now that you've made me aware of their, their existence, I feel like I do need one. Um, but I'll, I'll wait till I have a bit of silver to throw your dad. Yeah. And um, so if your dad's been doing that, like, like that's his lifetime's work. Yeah. yeah. And so and then you're saying like teaching research. I mean, is he someone who is then consulted for his kind of knowledge base, his expertise? He is, yeah, very much so. Like, he has done in recent years two um, uh, big commissions for museums over in England where he was uh, uh, producing replicas of of pieces that they have in their collections from antiquity and producing them in in the same way that they would have been produced originally. So they... So using kind of um, uh, like almost prehistoric uh, techniques and tools, yeah. you know. Far uh, out. And, so, uh, 
so yeah. so that that aspect uh you know there's there's a lot of that going on out there like that, that and, and just people come to him for that yeah that that's very interesting now we yeah. have um we have a friend uh who has worked in bronze and using some of those old methods um an artist and friend of ours, Fiona Coffey. I don't know if you know her at all. She's another Wixo-based artist. Yeah. But, um, um, yeah, that, that was something that you know, she has done over the years. And yeah, yeah. Using, again, I don't have the vocabulary or, or the knowledge base, but, uh, <laughs> you know, she wasn't producing it with any fancy technology. It was definitely, this is how it used to be done. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, really, yeah. yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah. And um, then just also, just in... You know, just to be fair, let's not let's not let's not uh, omit your mother, also a creative entity. What was her or is her? Yeah, name? I'm lucky in that I suppose I have artistic genes coming from both sides of the family. Yeah. So, um, my mother trained as a painter, but mm. kind of evolved into fashion design. Yeah. And after that, um, starting with um batik, and then into into knitwear. What's what's batik? Batik is the is the. A process of dyeing fabric with using wax as a resist so you draw on the fabric with okay. liquid wax uh, okay. then dye it and the uh, the wax areas don't take the dye so you get you get whatever you drew on it's fancy tie-dye in other words it's kind of is fancy tie-dye and it's something that you don't see so much of it anymore actually like it was it was a big thing in the 70s and 80s and uh, it, yeah. it kind of fell out of fashion a little bit I suppose right um, but these things usually circle back. Is that uh, you've no sense of a, a batik revival anywhere? There could be one. I don't know. I don't claim to have my finger on the pulse of, of the fashion world. Yeah. So there, there may this very well be a batik. Yeah, yeah. A, a batik revival going on that I don't know about. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And is she still tipping away doing No, bits, no, or? no. She kind of like it, the batik evolved into into knitwear, and yeah. um, I, I suppose she sort of retired out of it eventually. Right. You know? Um, the knitwear, the the business of of designing the knitwear and coming up with the samples was was what was the exciting part of the of the process, the business of manufacturing the things and and, and running an actual business was not you know it didn't really pay to her all that much so when the yeah. time came she just it 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 was a kind of let she just moved away from it no I mean I've had the impression um there may be fewer businesses or industries more difficult to sort of um, you know, build a name in or find a way into than uh, you know fashion and clothes. Um, yeah. And then, like as you say, just like you mentioned, manufacturing. Um, I came across someone recently, and she had her own. Uh, clothes label. I think I guess in the the eighties or nineties, and again, I think it was just so challenging to maintain the production. Yeah, and uh, it's a it's a fickle market. Like they might yeah. like your stuff one day, and then the next day nobody wants it anymore. Like you know, this is the nature of fashion, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, you kind of have to stay a little bit ahead of it all the time, and that's hard work in itself. Yeah, know? sure. Um, I mean, but but like I suppose, um, I mean, we'll certainly talk about this. I, I, to me, there's a through line with any of these artistic, creative vocations. Um, the just that thing you just mentioned, you know, the mood changes, the appetite changes, the appetite for what you're doing, producing, working on, what you're presenting, it changes, and there's a there is a, a fickle nature, and there's an ephemeral nature to 
these sort of um, these periods of synchronicity between product and appetite, product and market, product and consumer. Um, and I mean, for many artists, we're not always thinking of you know the consumer. We're often thinking. I just want to, I'm focused here. I'm focused yeah, on the yeah. product. I'm focused on what's close to me and what I'm making. And then mm-hmm. the market will follow. Now, mm-hmm. that might be an incredibly naive statement because, of course, there are creative people who are very focused on what do I need to make yeah. to build that market or audience. But the point I was trying to make was that we, um, the, 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 the challenge, I think, is to, to, to maintain one's creative hunger and one's creative drive over years and years and years because I think that's I think that is one of the most challenging aspects of trying to live a creative life to go I can still do this when suddenly the world goes a bit cold and you're like oh yeah yes I agree with that to some extent Um, there's also an aspect of it though that's just habit yeah. So if you're if you're doing your thing, whatever it is, creatively, you and you're doing this over a period of years, it becomes a habit. The same as anything else, the same as smoking cigarettes or whatever, like you know. Yes. And um, you you just get into this habit, and you can because it's a habit, you can maintain it. You know. Yeah. Now, that's a, an aspect of it. It, it, it. There is also the aspect that you have to um, kind of maintain a level of a sort of enthusiasm and and drive and things like that, but. And that's fed from, um, you know, sales of your work or even people just saying nice things about your work or whatever it may be, like, exactly. you know. Um, but uh, but there is the habit aspect as well, you know. It doesn't, yeah. Like, I feel if, if, if a creative person who's in the, in the habit of creating suddenly finds that there's absolutely no, um, no longer a market for their work or no longer a, an audience for their work, they'll still just keep creating it. Yeah. It's, 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 well when you use the word habit it's almost like um, sure, what else would I do yeah if exactly. I wasn't doing this yeah yeah yeah. like if they yeah. stop doing it there's a big hole there suddenly and you have to fill it with something so yeah yeah, uh, you fill it with smoking cigarettes instead like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but it's it's like a habit is a very very powerful thing and it's it, it's it's powerful in in a creative uh, sort of practice as much yeah, as it is anywhere else. No, it's and it's nice to hear you use the word in that positive sense because often habit is uh, maybe shunted in the other direction a yeah. little bit. Yeah. You know, bad habits yeah. and things you can't quite get out of. And of course, yeah. you mentioned, I know you're joking about cigarettes, but the idea of, you know, it's a habit I can't kick, yeah. the addiction. Um, but to, I mean, in a way, I think, I certainly think that way when I think about trying to maintain my own sort of martial arts practice and I talk about healthful habits you know putting things in place that are feeling good things into your life mm. um, and for me and you know it's well documented on on the podcast like I talk about doing that stuff to it's sort of my buffer I suppose like I, I have these kind of practices martial arts and certain routines and open water swimming that I depend on to keep myself well. Mm. Like I depend on them to keep me on the straight and narrow while I, you know, I wait for other things to align or while I'm trying to create other less, less controllable things mm. in my life. Yeah. Um, 
and maybe things that are more more creative um and so like that type of a habit i go yeah i mean i i I, i'm constantly advocating um that kind of thing it's like what are you putting in place to create the world you want for yourself yeah that's how i think about it yeah and that can be on a very intimate personal interior level yeah and it can also be then on a logistical what are you doing with your day level yeah you know what habits are you putting in place you spoke before we came on uh came on the mic you were speaking about giving up coffee because it just wasn't it wasn't doing anything for you yeah and you realize shit I feel so much better without this thing in my life. Yeah. See that for me is like okay, and that, that wasn't a big torturous experience. Yeah. That was just like I'll go without coffee for a day and yeah, wow, yeah, I, I'm so much better. I mean, yeah. I feel there's there's a there's a there's a con- well just just so so yeah. your listeners hear the the rest of that conversation. <laughs> I was only drinking one cup of coffee a day, so doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I wasn't. Um, I wasn't a ten cup. Like, I wasn't what a coffee. Sort, sort of. Um, <laughs> Like in the grips of an addiction or anything like that, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't terribly difficult to give it up. Basically, <laughs> well, well done, nonetheless. Thank you. Um, but listen, um, we may we, we may be doing you a, a slight disservice here by by focusing on your your starting point. You know these creative parents of yours. Um, of course, you have a creative brother as well. Yeah. But um, you are uh, an illustrator yes. and sculptor. And I'm presuming that, you know, being in this artistic household, seeds were planted early on about like a type of life you could live or like it was just in you probably. I it imagine. was almost inevitable, I would say. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think it was inevitable because um, I studied, I left school and studied architecture for three years. Okay. Um, I think my parents were keen that I got a, the... the inverted commas proper job if you know what I mean and uh, so architecture was kind of I suppose manoeuvred into doing it into studying it if you know what I mean to some extent yeah. not necessarily against my will but like uh, where where did you do that? in Bolton Street in yeah. yeah and uh, I knew right from the very beginning that I didn't want to be an architect um, but I, I ended up doing three years of it because I did, hadn't really figured out what the alternative was basically so, yeah yeah uh, now, it was a brilliant education. And, I was, I was and, going to um, say, just based on some of the illustrations of yours that I've seen you share on social media, these, um, is, is it pencil work initially, is it? or Sometimes pencil, yeah, pen, but, yeah. But really fine, detailed, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, beautiful stuff that I've seen, um, like very classical storybook. I mean, it's... Again, I, 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 come on, I, I come unstuck because I feel like I don't have the, the specificity of vocabulary to go, that's what I'm looking at. But yeah. stuff that I kind of go, well, that would be like perfect in a, a great storybook. Yeah. Now, I was going to say graphic novel, but I mean, that's like how long is a piece of string because there are so many different modes of art presented in yeah. graphic novels. Yeah. Um, but th- what I was going to say was, did the architectural training, do you feel that uh, that's ever like informed some of that like fine detail work you do or... it certainly hasn't hurt that's for sure and the reason is that um when i'm drawing when i'm um creating images i'm actually 
in my imagination, I'm constructing them in three-dimensional space and right. then putting them down on the paper. Okay. I'm not just kind of arranging two-dimensional components within a composition. I get a sense of that so, sort of depth. Yeah, so, so an understanding of how the world is put together in three dimensions is absolutely crucial to what I'm doing. Nice. Um, and studying architecture certainly helped that. However, I think certain people are just, their, their minds think that way and other people's don't it's not mm. it's not um, and neither mode of thinking is better than the other if you know what I mean it's just some people kind of think I suppose they they are able to conjure up three dimensional scenarios in their head and other, other people aren't able to do it so well huh. um, I see it in, in students that I teach ah, right, that right. Uh, you know we'd be doing uh, I, I teach drawing and, and um, certain people uh, deal very very easily with with um, you know perspective and and um, you know depth and and, and even even yeah. just imagining three dimensional scenarios and then other people just can't do it at all you know hmm. and it, it's it's all it's kind of unrelated to how good they are at drawing or sure it's sure. it's just a way that their mind works um, yeah and my mind works that way and the architecture like studying architecture certainly would have facilitated that there's no doubt about that yeah. Um, so yeah, so it was useful. I, I I mean I absolutely don't regret having studied architecture. Far from it. It was um, it was very good, very good education. I made great friends who are still friends. So. Yeah, are they architects? Yeah, a lot of them are very successful architects. Uh, so <laughs> what's he going like? Could have been me. <laughs> <laughs> I've nothing against architects. Some of my best friends are architects. Yeah, exactly. Poor old architects. Much much maligned demographic. Um. But obviously, your 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 draw, uh, pardon the pun, but you know, you know, you were drawn to then, uh, creative arts, yeah, and illustration first, or what? Where like what? What was the next move after? Yeah, so drawing was was always my thing. Like even as a child, yeah, I loved drawing. So I was drawing, 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 and architecture. Like I, I. As I say, I got through three years of it, and it really wasn't, you know, where the direction I wanted to go in my life. So, um, I ended up studying illustration after that. Okay. Uh, in the UK. Okay. In Cornwall. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. And I had an absolute ball over there. I, I really, uh, Cornwall has a very special place in my heart. Sure. Um, and it, I kind of found my groove there with regards to the kind of what I wanted to do and the, the hmm. type of work I was doing. Um. And uh, and that was it. Like I, I was very lucky that straight after college I was able to start getting commissions and start drawing professionally. Great. I suppose. So, oh well, um, a, obviously a great endorsement for a young artist. Yeah, I mean I got a couple of lucky breaks in the early days, you know, yeah. at, the, at the beginning. Um, but they meant that I was kind of able to hit the ground running after college, and I was able to able to start a professional art practice straight away. You know. Brilliant. I should say, <coughs> at a very, very low level in the early days, like it was, it was, it was small fry. But, but, but I mean, is there? I mean, are there sort of success stories that would suggest there's a high level to start? There are very, very, very few and far between. I was going to say, um, yeah. Uh, there are a couple, but there it's very much the exception rather than the rule. Even yeah. for people who are who go on to be very successful, but yeah. The, the vast majority of them would have started <clears throat> like with a very modest practice and kind of sure um, just having to go through years and years and years of, of building it up. It's funny, I mean, I, when, you know, you, you think of, well, when I think of illustrators, I suppose 
primarily I think of children's books yeah um, and those kind of illustrations my um my family my grandmother started a you know a bookshop um in the uh, the mid 70s and it then over the years it expanded into a you know big nationwide chain of bookshops yeah. and we kind of grew up I mean not not a chance of anything to do with bookshops to have access to books but it felt like you know there were always these amazing books coming into the house um and these amazing children's illustrators um that i these and it was it was always the, it was the pictures that were always i i that's what i fell in love with as a kid and i'm trying to think i'll probably go blank on some of these names i'm thinking of that book um and she's a classic uh children's illustrator each peach pear plum is it it's not it's not helen oxenbury is it I'm not. Oh no, it's not. It's um, it's Alberg. Don't know these ones. So many though. But then you think of people like I don't know, Quentin Blake or and um, children's books that that you read as a child have an incredible effect on you that you yeah. don't necessarily realize at the time. Yeah. But if you see the same book, twenty or thirty or forty years later, yeah, you're instantly transported back to being a child again. It's amazing. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. Uh, um, it's like a form of time travel. Yeah, it is. It, yeah. is, it is. It's like a, a similar thing happens with, with smells, with perfumes, you know, yeah. um, where if you if you associate a particular smell with something and you yeah. don't smell it in the interim and you smell it again, you're instantly transported well, back. Isn't that interesting as well? Because I, I, what I hear then is this idea of, you know, the power of our, our senses mm. and... Like I'd tie this then to back to kind of wellness and wellness practice and healthful habits, because my conviction is, I was banging on about this on the podcast last week. My conviction is we're living in an age of anxiety. I think there's a very, it's a very stressful time in the world. There's a lot of uncertainty, you know, economically, climactically, politically. It's a very fractious time, mm. and unless you're well, one, I mean, you, you know, I think you can be very disciplined and kind of try to seal yourself off from that. Um, or you might just be blessed with a, a, a disposition that, you know, you kind of, you can just go, no, that doesn't affect me on grand. But I think it finds a way in. It finds a way in under the skin, under the surface. And, to, you know, the senses are a great way to sort of decelerate and bring us back down and... Just what you were saying, you know, a perfume, a scent can transport us or be evocative of something similarly to immerse ourselves in it, like in a visual aesthetic and go, hold on. Like, and it's something I don't, I haven't had thought of before, but, but just that idea of go to one of your favourite books, go to one of your favourite picture books, you know, open it up, just, just look at a nice image yeah. and let yourself go to that place. Yeah. And just mm. take yourself Living back down. Yeah. You know, pick up that children's book, you know, that you, you, you have somewhere mm. on the shelf. Um, and it, look, it's... I mean, music is, has, a, has a, a similar power. Oh, massively. Uh, the, the difference is, I suppose, that music is... Um, it's kind of... We hear music all the time. It's in our presence all the time. Yeah. You know, you put, on, you put on a bit of music while you're working or yeah. whatever. Like, you know, it's, it's much more accessible. With the book you have to go to the book and you have to sit down quietly and you have to concentrate on it. So it's a little bit more, you're a little bit more engaged maybe than you would tend to be with music. But look, that's, 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 that's also then a type of mindfulness. Yeah. Um, and again, mindfulness, it's a word that's probably overused and thrown around like it's, 
you know, there's, there's a bit of a placebo thing with that. But I think like that type of practice, just what you described, you know, you have to sit down with a book. Um, a book is not something you have on in the background, mm. as you say. But you could take that approach to music. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, do you know what? I'm actually going to sit in the corner. Yeah. And I'll put on that music yeah. on my phones or on speakers yeah. or whatever. And, and, and people regularly yeah. do that. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I, the, the difference is though that to sit down and read a book as you're describing, you have to do that. Yeah. You you don't have to do it with music. No, music indeed. could be a, a, yeah. a sort of an ambient or an incidental yeah. thing. Um, whereas to, to sit with a book, you have to give it your full attention. Sure, absolutely. And so further to that, um, on the music front, do you uh, you throw in the tunes when you're, you're tipping away at a project, do you? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, what's, what's on your playlist, Alan? What's on my playlist? Everybody wants to know. <laughs> what's Alan Clark listening to, guys? What's Alan Clark listening to? Alan Clark often listens to, I'm ashamed to say, whatever um, Spotify decides I'm going to listen to. Oh, okay, um, okay. I would tend to listen to, when I'm working, m- music without words. So film soundtracks or classical music or kind of ambient music things like that mm-hmm. um, just because I, I kind of it doesn't sort of interfere with my thought processes as much as music with lyrics does yeah and um, I've obviously nothing against music with lyrics I listen to that one for enjoyment okay no don't, don't sit on the but, fence music with lyrics is terrible but, you heard it here first <laughs> but um, I uh, for, for music while I work would be uh, yeah sort of uh, instrumental music sure sure um, sure but even that that can be powerfully suggestive. Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah, you it can know. Very, kind of cultivate a very, very uh, strong, evocative environment. Mm, mm, yeah, and movie soundtracks in particular yeah. because they're so, they're so, essentially they're so narrative um, yeah. in, their, in, their, in, their, in their focus. Yeah. Um, so, just, let's just talk a bit then more. I mean, hold on, maybe we're, maybe we're still on this kind of chronological uh chronological journey oh incidentally I spent time down in that part of England I did my acting training in um, in Devon oh yeah. yeah yeah in Exeter yeah and similar to you I did my degree first you know the, the, the hippie parents you know <laughs> the irony of having hippie parents to go make sure you get a good degree and a good job, job. <laughs> so I dutifully went off to college and got uh, a really useful degree in English and philosophy Mm-hmm. Um, and then worked for a couple of years in one of the family bookshops and then took myself off to England and did an acting training in, in Devon mm-hmm. and now Devon is not Cornwall but mm-hmm. it still has uh, many of has its own charms I mean it just yeah. gets a little bit rougher and raw as it drop down to Cornwall mm-hmm. and that kind of yeah. um, it always reminds me a bit of, of uh, reminded me a bit of Kerry the trips down to Cornwall I took so some of that coastal uh, landscape felt felt similar in places. Yeah, it's beautiful down there, but in Cornwall and in Kerry, yeah. actually, um, uh, Cornwall I think is a place that's for Irish people not on our radar all that much. Certainly, yeah. as, as a holiday destination or yeah. anything like that, and it's a pity because it's got a huge amount to offer. It's a great yeah. Place. yeah, we I remember we took um, we did a play down at the, down at the uh, the Minac, oh, yeah. theater. Yeah, that yeah. is an extraordinary place. Yeah, yeah. And we did a like a parlor drama of all things in that setting, um, which seemed very, uh, yeah, it was it was it was a strange a strange choice, but in any case, uh, a lovely part of the world. Um, so, you came out, and as you say, you were lucky enough to get paid work uh, very soon after leaving your 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 training over there, and so what was what was the journey then? What was the evolution from 
illustration to to sculpture? Well, it, it evolved gradually over the years up to a point, and then it evolved very abruptly. And I'll kind of like start at the beginning, I suppose. Um, when I left college, I wanted to get paid to draw pictures. Yeah. But that was as deep as my thought processes on the matter went. Perfectly reasonable. It was, I was like, okay, I've done this illustration thing now, and I want to. I just want to draw pictures, and I want people to pay me to do it. And and I I I, st- I got that going, you know, pretty quick. Uh, and I was getting, like, book illustration jobs and adver- stuff for for advertising and publishing and like all sorts of different things. And a couple of years went by, and I started to realize I wasn't really. Not that I wasn't enjoying it, but I wasn't being fulfilled by it. Mm. And I started to realise there was a little bit more to it than just being paid to draw pictures. The whole the whole thing, the whole matter of um, enjoying the work and being fulfilled by it was a little bit more nuanced than that. Mm. And I, I started to evolve my practice in a way that I was doing more work that I wanted to do myself. It was mm. coming from me rather yeah. than from a third party. Sure. Um, so... Um, I started creating work for exhibitions that I would have and making work that I would sell directly to people, like a sort of um, getting more into a kind of a fine art uh, practice, I suppose. But it was still very kind of character based, very illustration led, very skills based. Yeah. Um, but but less so the commercial side of it and more so the kind of uh, m- more personal side of it, I suppose. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because you think historically. You know, historically, artists have always been sort of on the fringes, um, um, on the fringes and impoverished to some degree and dependent on patrons mm. and benefactors. Um, and then, but it, it's kind of a double edged sword, though, isn't it? Because the, the patron is like, no, I'll do what you want, I, I see your gifts, go be productive, paint, draw, illustrate, sculpt, whatever. Um, or I'm commissioning you to do this thing. Um, yeah, I, to put I, the kind of to put a maybe to put a bit of a, a straight jacket on the artist. But yeah. no, not another portrait for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. No, there's very uh, creativity without limitations is a very dangerous kind of it's a it's a poison chalice. Um, <laughs> That's what this podcast is. <laughs> <laughs> Edit, um, cut, stop, shorter, shorter. Yeah, yeah. Um, the 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 notion of the patron who just showers money on you and says go off and, and create whatever you want just just let your your sort of inner voice loose yeah um, I don't know if that's ever happened to anyone right um, I think that's a fairy tale nice um, I think even the most generous patrons would put some sort of limitations or guidance on, on what yeah. what their their um, patrony is producing yeah. Um, and patrons and benefactors, like it does, like you have to generate all that stuff for yourself. It doesn't yeah. come out of nowhere. Like no one no. is going to just knock on your door and say, "I've got sure. loads of money," and, and you know, it never happens. It's, Look, I mean, I'm, obviously, I'm speaking a bit facetiously, but like it is yeah. evocative of, of of older times, um, yeah. and maybe the same avenues weren't available. Um, but I, when you were speaking before, I, I was one thing that occurred to me was the work you were doing when you realised mm, maybe I'm not that fulfilled I mean was there an aspect that it was one maybe a little bit too easy two that it was sort of yeah coming from outside you not inside you 
I think it was that. Yeah. More so than it was too easy. It's, it wasn't too easy. And I think um, actually doing work that might seem easy on paper, as it were, um, but that you're not enjoying is far more difficult no, than I doing work that. that's more complex that you are yeah. enjoying. Um, so uh, the, the ease of it wasn't the thing, but, but uh, more so that I was interested in doing work that was coming from me, that had a little bit of my soul in it, let's okay. say, than, than work that was being sort of commissioned and overseen by, by a third party. Sure. And so let's speak to that then for a second. This idea, and I love what you just said, you know, had work that had more of your soul in it. And I know you kind of made a face then, you know, ah, do I really want to say it like that? Yeah. But but that resonates with me. Yeah. And I just think that that idea of alignment with what's inside you, deep inside you, and it's a and for me the way I think it's like it's 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 a desire to express something, and it's a desire to meet the world with something that's very purely you, um, and I think that that is. I think I believe that that's central to happiness and unhappiness. If that soul quality in anyone, I don't care what your job is, this isn't about art or being a creative entity, it's about whatever you're doing in your life. It's If that's suppressed, hidden, muffled, muted, tucked away in a corner, or there's no avenue in your life, and there, you know, if there's no outlet for that to come to the fore and find, um, you know, an, an, to find an aperture or an opening or a meeting point in life, that's a very, it, 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 there's enormous tension and conflict in that. Um, and maybe creative people, again, it's a very, it's a, it's a nasty generic term, but let's say artists, illustrators, writers, actors, dancers, sculptors, you know, any, any the arts in general, maybe if you're a practitioner in that world or if you've been drawn to it, Maybe you're naturally disposed to think in those terms or to understand yourself in those terms. But for me, it's central to my sort of, my, my, kind of my, my, my philosophy of trying to be well. And so to bring it back to you then, what was it that you think, what, what, what was in your soul that you felt hadn't been there previously in the work you were doing? What did you want to see more of, or how did that show itself in your work? I suppose um, I had lots of ideas kicking around in my head that I wanted to see realised. It's it's as simple as that. Mm. But I would also say, just in response to what you were saying there, that in in terms of creative arts and creative visual arts, self expression and art are not the same thing. Mm. Uh, in fact, like they often, they are components. Like self-expression is a component of art, but it's not the same thing. They're often lumped together, um, and I would agree with you that um, expressing yourself is a very, very healthy thing to do, and mm. everyone should be um, encouraged to do it and facilitated to do it because it's 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 good for the mind. It's healthy. It's cathartic. You know, um, it's and it's a great outlet. Um, but it's not art. Mm. And one of the problems we have uh, these days is that 
they are kind of lumped together a lot. Excellent. And um, the the notion of the artist expressing himself is actually, you know, the, the, this voice of the artist, let's call it, is actually quite a new thing. Mm. Like, uh, it's it, 200 years old, maybe. But art, like in, as we know it in, in the Western European tradition, is 3,000 years old. Yeah. Um, artists up to that point were... were um, they were engaged by a, by someone who was commissioning them and they were expected to meet expectations. Mm. That's it. They were given a commission and they were expected to produce it. Nothing. They weren't expected to express themselves. No, it was um, a skill set. Exactly. Now, they did express themselves. That's part of it. But they, it wasn't deemed to be a fundamental component of what they were doing. Um, these days, the artist expressing himself has almost... Um, Superseded the superseded. art. It's yeah. almost destroyed art, in fact. Um, it's superseded this idea of uh, the artist getting down on his knees and begging the muses to whisper something to him and then being a conduit for whatever that message is. Mm. And his, his body and his skills and his learning and his understanding of his audience and all of these things making him a better conduit for that, for, for whatever this creative impulses or whatever this message is um, and so obviously self-expression is a component of all that but it's not necessarily a fundamental component and it's not it's not the be-all and end-all yeah but it's really really important in in the context that you were just talking about in the no it's in, 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 in the in the in the context of on an individual level being just good for you to express yourself. And no, it really no, is. It really is. Yeah, listen, and, and I'm delighted. I'm delighted to hear you make such a, a confident um, and assertive distinction. Um, I love hearing you say it's not art. Um, we're living in, <laughs> we're living in a time when people won't make a statement like that. People are afraid to offend someone. People are afraid to be cancelled um, for whatever reason and something as innocuous as that because you feel like you hear the rhetorical question so much what is art what is art anyway this is art that's art um, well I can tell you in a please in do. one sentence what I think art is yes please that's art, where I was going <laughs> art is um, what happens when a a honed hand, a honed mind, and a honed eye meet. Mm. Simple as that. So what I mean by the honed hand is that's like skill or virtuosity or you know a, a, a practiced technical application of work. Um, the honed mind is research, originality, novelty, understanding your audience, understanding yourself, all of those types of things. And then the honed eye is a sense of beauty, a sense of design, a sense of composition. And all those kind of things. When those three fundamental components meet, mm. they're the the um, conditions that are necessary for art to happen. Fantastic! I love that. Um, and and my now this is obviously it's all my personal opinion. Um, the there disclaimer. are many 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 people who would disagree with me, but I I think if you don't have those three components, you can't have art. And oftentimes the product calling itself art these days is missing one, two, and sometimes all three of those components. Lovely. And then you're and, scathing. And then I am like have this white hot rage boiling inside <laughs> me. <laughs> but listen, but it's it's I, I feel it's a very it's a fundamental thing. Like that's what art is, yeah. that's what excites people. 
Yeah. Um, that's what every piece of um, high art that that you can name that you care to name up until maybe the sixties mm. contains those three those three. Um, Very good. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna revisit this because I'm interested in this sort of idea of a point of departure, um, and if it started as far back as the 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 sixties, that's that's very interesting, um, but further to this idea that you just expressed of honed eye hand body, uh, no eye hand mind mind. Thank you. This is what I hear when I hear that is the idea of something being honed at all feels largely absent from so much of the modern experience there is such a lack of craft discipline um, dedication application to so many areas of modern life this is again not just in the world of, 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 of artistic pursuit it's the way we are consuming the world everything is just like bang what's the next thing and in a way it's the tiktokification of of the modern you know pop cultural experience it's it's definitely connected to the the, the digital age the te- technological age it's definitely connected to social media it's definitely connected to mainstream media it's connected to the sort of um the narrowing of the artistic field, the narrowing of what's been presented to us. And it's to our collective detriment because when we are presented with fewer and fewer visions of the world, our imaginations become totally impoverished. Um, And I would further draw a connection to that idea of recognizing something that is honed. I'd see that in the world of martial arts. Um, and having practiced karate for about 30 years now there is you, you, look, you know you're looking when you're looking at someone who has put in the work you yeah. know you're, when you're looking at someone who has you know been dedicated disciplined who has sacrificed and it's in the body yeah. and that doesn't necessarily mean you're always left with an amazing end product yeah. but you know that it's in them and you know there is something that is tangibly learned yeah. and experienced. Yeah. And we'll, go, we'll return to your word, honed. The, I, I think there is a, a, I don't know what you might call it, a little section in somewhere in the old Stone Age part of our brain mm. that when you see or encounter something that's been created with skill or is being done with skill mm. or is being done by, by someone who has put in the time to become an expert at it, that little part of your brain hums and you get mm. draw immense pleasure from it. And um and it doesn't it's not restricted to, to art or arts yeah. practice. It's it across the board, like sure. You, so like a martial artist, like a, a what what you're describing or anything, absolutely anything, where you have someone who has just got really, really, really good at something and is executing that thing with virtuosity. Mm. Um you're like really it's it's an astonishing thing i wonder and, and we, yeah we, we we don't come across it all that much these days no i think to some extent we may be coming back around to it there's a there's starting to i feel a little bit of a kickback against 
like people are starting to realise that we have to actually just shut up for a while and put the phones down and just put in the hours, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I hope it happens. I hope it. I hope it does happen, and I hope it gathers momentum. Sure. Well, I think it's um, it, it's to step away from the kind of the 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 hyper accelerated delivery model. Yeah. So deliver it in a hyper accelerated way, and then use it for five minutes, and then throw it away. Like yeah. we're destroying ourselves yeah. with this way of living. Like and. Uh, oh, it's 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 a philosophy of dispensability. Yeah. It's every moment is a mayfly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like, oh, that was nice. Gone next. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. We're 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 on the right track. Let's just go back then to what you were saying that you you were kind of talking about this great um this legacy of artistic um craft dedication discipline that was going back thousands of years in the Western European tradition, that you and you said maybe, you know, right up until the sixties. Now. An opinion to that then so what was like when i think of the 60s and art i suppose i'm naturally going to think of um maybe pop art i don't know and like andy warhol figures like that um who else was there maybe basquiat i suppose came out around that sort of era mm. as well i mean is what is that a key point of departure you think that you know something started there that has led us to now I suppose the two, the two of them that you just mentioned are um, examples of where the cult of personality started to kick in a little bit with regards to, to certain artists. Yeah. Um, uh, and it would certainly be for the two of them, there's no doubt about that. They, they, were, they were, their art aside, as, as people, they were really interesting, fascinating characters. You yeah. Know? This idea that some people make art and some people are art, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah right yeah <laughs> um, that might be applicable to the two of them um, and, and certain others around that period now I'm not an art historian so I don't I don't kind of claim to know everything about every sort of artist and movement that has happened over the years but it just seems that there was um, in the kind of late 20th century there was a move much more towards self-indulgence in art mm. away from um, <clears throat> the idea of the artist being kind of a a conduit for something sure you know, and being um, and I think broadly it's it's to art's detriment um, you know not many people again wouldn't agree with me on that but the last the the, the uh, move away from or, or the move towards skilllessness in art I think mm. is, is a tragic thing interesting now I also feel that that is starting to maybe turn back right. a bit like for example the there's these kind of academic academies popping up all over Europe um, that are teaching I suppose a, 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 an approach to learning about art that's going back uh, to the early Renaissance uh, now it's a very it, it itself is also quite a narrow way of learning but but it's it's um, it, it works there's no doubt about it in, uh, in certainly at the level of skills mm. um, Unfortunately, we'll be a little bit behind everything. I, I, I suppose if everyone could um, illustrate or create work like Da Vinci, if that's the time period we're talking about, that would be, be quite a good return, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would, but you don't want everyone just mimicking Da Vinci no. or Michelangelo or, or yeah. anyone else. Like, you know, there, there still has to be... Um, uh, like, the people who come out of these academies have the skills, but the ones that go on to become artists are the ones that have that little bit of vision themselves, mm. you know, that they, they, they can use those skills in a, in a way that's like... 
sort of interesting and exciting and, sure. and, and beautiful or whatever. Yeah, and I, I suppose the, the, the idea then of every artist, every artist perhaps craves the, to, to be distinctive and identifiable. Yeah. And can go, oh, that's such and such, that's such and such. Yeah. I mean, is that, is that the ultimate compliment? It, that, I suppose that's something that can be very artificial as well. <laughs> Yeah, and, and very contrived. Yeah, and it can also be a bit of a poison chalice because if like you're talking about having a style that's recognisable, sure. Um, if you have a, have a style that's very very recognisable, it can become the style of the moment for five minutes, and then yeah. five minutes later, you kiss of death. Uh, whereas if you're someone who's adaptable and can kind of you know evolve as time goes by, mm. which which is more difficult actually than than just fixing on the style do you think the world like, like, do you think the world that cares about art permits that to happen the evolution of style or a shift are you, who, what, what are you talking about are you talking about the art market or are you talking about people I don't know I mean mm. I mean, I know that's a yeah, yeah. But, but I mean the idea like, I mean the, the idea of gatekeepers or um, arbiters of taste or oh yeah he was good then, but he's not now. It's like the it's like the Woody Allen joke, you know, like about you know the movies, um, you know his earlier good stuff. Like he, he was making that joke like in the kind of I think early eighties, and you know, you think God, he's still got like forty years of films to come. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I was thinking about this before you came over, um, for the interview. Um, there was a friend, a friend, a mutual friend, who is an artist, visual artist, and he used to kind of paint in a lot of different styles but ultimately very consciously plumped mm. for one style yeah because that felt like it was going to be the most commodifiable yeah um and then it then that becomes your style you like that becomes your your hallmark yeah and people have an expectation that you'll continue along that line yeah I, I suppose from the point of view of uh, like if you're talking about making a living from art you have to have something that that you can produce without having to reinvent the wheel each time mm. you know th- that if someone rings you up and goes I, I want to commission you you go okay yeah no problem I can I can do that I can do it reasonably quickly and I yeah. can do it without having to kind of really really go back to the fundamentals like you know yeah. something that you can you can kind of do over and over again but even within that there's scope for evolving and changing things yeah know? sure um, uh, like I feel for a long time I didn't have that um, and I feel I do now particularly with, with portrait sculptures because if someone comes to me and says um, that they want a portrait sculpture I know kind of exactly how I'm going to approach it yeah. straight away pretty much Right. I don't have to I don't have to start all over again each time from like learning about you know sure and that's probably I mean, again, we're talking about this idea of this is a skill that you've now honed. Yeah, and that, that's many, it's many kind years. of a matter of practicalities as well, to a yeah. certain extent, that you have to have something there. But, but then, like, outside of that, there are lots of other things that, that I do and that other artists do that are, are kind of different and are, are, are reinventing the wheel each time or yeah. attempting to, uh, yeah. that are, you know, experimenting with new things. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Mm. Um, it's... Some of it ends up in the bin, some of it ends up in the mantelpiece. You know, it's, it's I suppose a, that's part of keeping your um, a certain artistic agility. Exactly. And keeping it interesting for yourself. That's, yeah. that's the other thing. Like, you so know, that's just keeping uh, one part of that brain kind of just firing yeah. in a certain way. If you, were, if you were, had a practice where you were required to produce the same thing over and over again or variations of the same thing over yeah. and over again, it would 
become a millstone around your neck very very quickly like, no sure you know, well yeah. I mean that's why they invented 3D printers yeah yeah and <laughs> <laughs> um, look I, I, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about your sculpture now in a second and some of the interesting things you've been doing um, in recent times but I, I was wondering you know when you were speaking before about this I mean evolution devolution um, you cited the late 20th century and talked about maybe figures like the ones I mentioned where the you know the self was becoming coming more to the forefront um of the art artistic story um and also then this idea of you, you referred to a sort of a a, a skilllessness and I, was, I just I was just wondering do you think was it the new I can't remember the, 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 how they were described that collection of artists that came up in the 90s in um England like the new British young, school young, or the young, young British artist YBAs was that it? Yeah, young British artists. So that was like Tracy yeah. Emin, Tracy Amin, mm-hmm. and Damien Hurst and yeah. those guys. Like, do you think that might have been like the apex of that moment of, you know, that kind of uh, new? I don't know. I don't, it's a, I don't tar everyone with the same brush. In yeah. Every, every movement like that. Oh no, let's, like, let's. Damien Hurst is a businessman. Like he's not an artist. Yeah. Uh, whereas Jenny Savile came out of that movement as well. She's right. incredible. Okay. Like, I saw an exhibition of her work in Florence last year and it's just mind-blowing. Like, she's got a wonderful combination of kind of a contemporary aesthetic with, with like, skillfulness and beautiful ideas and mm. really, really nicely executed works. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a little bit of everything. They were all kind of lumped in together, but they were... A, a, a Quite different. different. Diff- very different yeah, um, yeah. artistic voices, yeah, though, within, yeah. within that group. Yeah. Uh, and Damien Hurst is, I mean, like, obviously somebody's kind of... I mean, what yeah, the words like enfant terrible and you know uh, iconoclast and but it, it it feels like that that's been his jam right from the start. Yeah. You know how can I be shocking? How can I do something? Yeah, that's and he's very successful and yeah, you know I mean I don't you know justifiably so you know yeah but like like is he is he a kind of a, a Tarantino a sort of a magpie of ideas or there's sort of a there isn't there like he has an aesthetic. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like so evident that you like you really. No, no, I'm not. Know. So I've I've very little to say about him actually. I don't want to get fixed on on him. Um, no, 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 no. This is but, the, but I I. No, but what you did say yeah. very clearly, he's not an artist. Did I say that? You just said that. Okay. <laughs> um, so I mean, whether that's right or wrong, what what what? Yeah, forms? maybe I should re- retract that. No, no, don't. What's your feeling? Like, because what? I I mean I suppose he he has a, a from what I understand he has a, a studio and he has people producing all his work for him. Okay. But then so did Rubens, so did Gordon Ramsay, the yeah. chef. Yeah, there's yeah. restaurants. Yeah. Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, really? is Gordon there? No, he's no, not. not. Is this really his work? Yeah. Eh, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So um, well that okay okay yeah. Um, okay, so, I'm so not, I'm, what I'm saying is, I'm not trying to invalidate what he does, right? Far from it, yeah, it's just not to my taste. No, fair enough, absolutely fair enough. Um, so what is to your taste, actually? I mean, you, you kind of expressed it like the way you spoke about Jenny Savile's uh, work was very, you know, eloquent. Um, what is to your taste, then? I mean, who, like, when you were coming up. Were there particular artists that you really admired that really spoke to you, or was it? You know, sometimes artists don't think that way at all. They're just yeah. in their own groove. Yeah. No. No. Uh, I, I I suppose I'm drawn to artists who are storytellers and who 
whose work is is executed with skill like that's as mm. I was saying I, I consider that to be a like a, a fundamental component now so now but within that like, that's still very broad so um like within those that, that those two kind of um uh, conditions I suppose um like uh, like a, like a huge amount of stuff like yeah I'm, can I just, I'm just I, I'm, I'm, I'm being devil's advocate I suppose because there's so much subjectivity in these terms. I think I know what you're talking about. Hmm. But when you say executed with skill, are we, are, we, are we talking about, you can look at, for argument's sake, an illustration or a painting, and you go, I can see the draftsman's you know, skill, hmm. or I can see this painter, I can see her, her, her um, you know, the skill of her brush, brushwork, or that kind of thing. Hmm. But these are sort of classical teachable skills I suppose yeah, yeah. Is, is, is that am I in yeah, the uh, approximate area you are yeah and, and like a lot of skills in art are teachable if someone is willing to, to apply themselves to it um, but like skill on its own is very cold sure like it doesn't skill on its own is not going to, to, going to produce art there are you know other things that are needed um, but like it, it, I like to see an evidence of it in, in work Mm. you know that's what I'm drawn to personally that's yeah. the, the kind of work that, that resonates with me um, where where an artist has has something to say and has developed the means within themselves to say it yeah and so I mean I'm, I'm jumping across you know, on top of you and stopping you before you finish your thoughts but go back tell me then if there were did, were there s- certain artists that spoke to you or you felt oh my god you know uh, let me think off the top of my head so I remember coming across a book when I was quite young by uh, illustrated by William Heath Robinson, okay, who was a, a British illustrator kind of from the late eighteen hundreds, mm-hmm. and he he drew all these kind of mad little contraptions and things like that, mm. and I, I loved it. He was incredibly inventive. They're really funny. Mm-hmm. They're beautifully drawn. They're kind of have this kind of Victorian aesthetic that I kind of was drawn to at the time as well. Sure. And, I mean, he was Victorian, so obviously yeah. they're going to that. That's it. Wasn't a, a kind of an affectation, but um, uh, it's just someone that popped into my mind just as you were speaking. Like he, yeah. he, he kind of would, um, I suppose, be slightly in the children's books category or in the golden age of illustration okay. category, and um, he just popped into my mind while you were talking there. Um, he illustrated um, a version of um, Shakespeare's *Midsummer Night's Dream* that's beautiful, really, like oh, just right. in black and white pen and ink. It's, yeah, it's stunning. Okay, um, I'm, I'm not familiar with yeah. him at all. You, you may well be actually without knowing that exactly. His, his work is kind of iconic. I'm trying to think yeah. who else was um, again my 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 own kind of art history knowledge is so poor. Who was it who did the illustrations for uh, *Salome*? Um, was it Auburn Beardsley? Aubrey Beardsley. Aubrey Beardsley, yeah. Beardsley, yeah. yeah. Is, is, yeah. Is that someone who... Yeah, know? yeah, very much so. Like, he was incredible. Uh, um, also Victorian-ish. Yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 There was a big retrospective of his work a couple of years ago in the in the Tate over in, in the UK that I'd oversee in, in London. It was brilliant. Um, like, he kind of inv- almost invented a new graphic language for himself. Like, yeah, you know, and, very and, distinct. And, and very young he was. Yeah. Um, and he had an incredible sense of design, like of of black and white on a page and how to mm. lay it out, um, and his his own very unique sort of world of characters and, and yeah and um, sort of scenarios and things like that. Yeah. Uh, beautiful. Yeah. I'd, I'd be very much yeah. A fan right. Of his as well. Okay. Cool. Um. 
so look, let's let's talk. You know, we'll, 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 we'll kind of move for the latter part of this to your own output. Um, you illustrate the the Russell Carroll Kelly books, isn't that right? Yes. Yeah. So what? How did that? Coincidentally, the newest one was published yesterday or the day before. Oh, so, right. Yeah. Okay. Book number 23, I think, in the trilogy. Oh, goodness. <laughs> that guy is so prolific. Yeah. 23, 22, maybe. Bang in the There's lots of them, yeah. Yeah. So how, how did that one come about? Was that a... Uh, very early days, um, I... The, the first couple of books were published by O'Brien Press in Dublin, yeah. and I, I had been into them with my portfolio, and I had done one or two other small little commissions for them. Yeah. And they were publishing the first of the Russell Carroll Kelly books, and yeah. in in a kind of a masterstroke, they decided to get the book illustrated. And I say a masterstroke because what it did was it it gave the the books are narrated in the first person, so it's yeah. Russell Carroll Kelly's view of the world through his own eyes. And for anyone who's not familiar with the Russell Carroll Kelly books, and this will be for some of the uh, the international listeners. Uh, Russell Carroll Kelly is, um, as Alan was just saying, he's the uh, eponymous character of this series of satirical kind of spoof novels of a, a certain type of South County Dublin um, rugby player. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, so it's a, it's a social satire basically. Yeah. It's, a, it's a broad yeah. social satire, and yeah. it's 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 main character like the eponymous character is Russell Carroll Kelly, who is a he's a quintessential private school jock basically, and yeah. it's it's a very translatable character even internationally, sure. um, and it's 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 all through it's it's his voice it's through his eyes, so it's 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 written in the first person. Um, the masterstroke from a publishing point of view that I was mentioning was the, the illustrations are in the third person. So in, within the books you get yeah. Russell Carroll Kelly's view on the world and you get the, the world's view on Russell Carroll Kelly. Yeah. So the... the um, and the illustrations then depict him in this milieu. Exactly. And they're almost like he's a narcissist basically. He's, yeah. he's got an overinflated <laughs> notion of how attractive he is and how brilliant he is and all this kind of thing. And the illustrations then... Uh, Violently undermine that notion of himself. <laughs> well, they are, yeah. They, they, I mean, your 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 work in the illustrations—they're instantly sort of humorous um, and comical, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. and the, like the characters are all, all kind of grotesque, basically. Yeah. Like, you know, and, yeah. and they are like the characters are grotesque, also in in the written aspect of it. But yeah. certainly the ones I draw are, um, but uh, it's very it's very very enjoyable. Like I'm I'm. Hugely proud to have been involved with it. All yeah, the sure. There. It's 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 a brilliant, brilliant thing. And it's um, it's Paul Howard, isn't it? Paul Howard is the yeah. author. Like he's yeah. brilliant. He's just got uh, endlessly in front of mind, <laughs> and um, he's sustained it for like over twenty years now. This this has gone on, and it's gone through the ups and downs of Irish society. And yeah, chronicle exactly. It, it's almost like a version of the Late Late Show, as it. Yeah, of or, or like and, you know, Fiona yeah. Bryan, like Cushing Lawn, as well yeah. as compared to. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's for me, it's been absolutely brilliant to be part of that. And, and yeah. um, uh, like long may it continue, it's, 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 it's ridden the waves, the ups and the downs of, yeah, of, of sure, sure. Irish life over the last sort of 20 odd years. You, um, you, also, <coughs> you also mentioned that um, you illustrated a, a Zig and Zag book back in the day, is that right? No, no, that, no, no sorry, that was, I, was, I was on the day and I was on the Right, okay. No, the, the book was, the book, the reason I was on, if I think back, was 
um, I illustrated a book called Something Beginning with P. Okay. Which was a collection of, of uh, poetry for children. Oh, nice. It was a beautiful thing, actually. It was, it yeah. was a long time ago now, but it was published um, again by O'Brien Press. And it was, yeah. it, was, um, it was a collection of poems that were specially commissioned off from Irish poets who normally write for adults. Oh, they were nice. all commissioned to write one children's poem each. There was about yeah. 120 of them, I think, altogether. That sounds like a fantastic idea. Brilliant project. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. And then the whole thing was was um, published in a hardback format, fully illustrated throughout, like full-colour uh, painted illustrations. That yeah. Through. Um, I did half the illustrations and uh, Karina Askin from Belfast did the other half. Oh, brilliant. So they were kind of a mixture of mine and I'd love to know, see that. I never came across that. Um, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it's still in print. Um, yeah. But like it was published in two thousand four, I think. So it's gone back quite a while. Oh yeah, that's not that um, long ago. Like, but but, but the the RTE at the time got behind the the project. Yeah. And so that's how I ended up on the day with Zig and Zag was promoting Great. that book and and Zig and Zag Stone Cold Legends uh, again for non Irish listeners. Dust, of, dust yeah. in the turkey. Zig and Zag were puppets. They were two aliens brothers. And they were a staple of children's kind of daytime TV through the, um, through what, late 80s into the 90s? 90s, even into the 2000s, yeah. it must have been. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. their little crew expanded. There was a very um, outspoken, opinionated turkey who joined them, Dustin, who famously, or infamously, depending on your perspective, represented Ireland in the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, that's how seriously we were taking that. Um, but well, anyway. I'll tell you a little family connection to that actually Do, please. My, my brother built the shopping trolley that Dustin was <laughs> in on the Eurovision that he sang from that is hilarious <laughs> uh, yeah, your, so your, yeah your brother of course is a uh, well I always think of Robert as a, like a model maker he's a model maker yeah yeah in the sort of film and television industry yeah yeah and he's he's tips he tips along at that and oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yes it's it's a it's a booming industry at the moment yeah, oh yeah so. well the streaming services yeah. making stuff over yeah, here oh, yeah. good good I'm glad and look listen we're gonna we're 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 accelerating now into your um what's well again I'm going on what I see on social media like a lot of sculpture has been happening in, in, in recent times. Yes. And portrait sculpture specifically, yeah? Yeah, and, uh, lots of other things kind of behind the scenes as well. Right. So so um, I suppose going by what I put up on Instagram, there's a lot of portraits, but I've been doing a lot of figurative stuff as well. Yeah. And things. So they're, some of these projects take a long time, so they, they're sort of, a lot of things are simultaneously in the work. Sure, for sure, of course. And you're are you working mainly down in in Clash? Yeah, you've got a studio. Yeah, a, a yeah. family home there. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I have a studio home, and um, I actually have a studio in Dublin as well. So I do the the drawing stuff in the studio. Yeah. Dublin, um, and the sculpture down here. So there's just a bit more space. Like yeah, there. and um, I've noticed recently, like you've been you've been involved in a, a couple of um competitions. You've had some pieces in the. Uh, a competition for the Society of Portrait Sculptors over in yeah that England. that's the exhibition has just finished up actually I, I had two sculptures in their uh, exhibition over there that's just yeah. finished so they have um an annual exhibition of of members work so the best work from members for the yeah. year um and in addition to that they they allow some submissions from outside of of their their own membership yeah so um. I submitted that and uh, two of my sculptures got in happily. So. Yeah, fantastic. So uh, 
Yeah, that exhibition's just finished, and happily one of the sculptures actually sold, so I only have to bring one of them back. Oh, so I'm oh lovely, yeah. great. Yeah. Um, can't be, uh, can't be cheap uh, transporting sculptures. It's not, it? no, unfor- nothing about sculptures cheap, unfortunately. Yeah. But suddenly, when you move from two dimensions into three dimensions, yeah. the, the the prices uh, proportionally <laughs> go up. You know. And what's what's your what's your main medium? In terms of sculpture, yeah. So I sculpt in clay, in, yeah. in water-based clay, like uh, earthenware clay, the same as what a potter might use. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's a, a brilliant material. Um, uh, one of them, the kind of nice things about clay, about working in clay, is like not only it has a very, very nice tactile quality to it, but it's almost impossible to make a mistake that you can't correct. And <laughs> I, I tell this to my students all the time, because people would naturally be very yeah. attentive when they, yeah. when they start. Um, it'll be grand, it'll be grand. Don't worry, stick that back on, it'll be fine. Like I would regularly yeah. like, chop a nose off and move it up a little bit, or chop yeah. a hair off and move it. Like, it's, it's a very, very forgiving medium. Right. Uh, as long as you keep it wet, obviously if it dries out, it goes hard. But, but if, you can, if you keep the clay damp, you know, wrap it in damp cloth or whatever, it will, it will stay workable indefinitely. And, and well, you can chop um, it off and stick yeah, it on. Your, the, the results you seem to get, they look stunning to me. I think I, I really, really have enjoyed seeing you know, the work you've shared on, on Instagram. And I mean, I, I, just can't, I can't see anything to, uh, not that I'm looking to, but I can't see anything. It just seems they look beyond reproach. They just look so aesthetically lovely um, and full of, uh, you know, the, the skill, the craft, the aesthetic. Um, I just, I, yeah, I've, I kind of, I've, I've marvelled at some of the pieces that you've shared. Um, well, thank you very much. And now, <laughs> I'm going to backhand that now with a little... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't <laughs> No, no, listen, no, take it, absolutely. There's yeah, no, no, I, I there's no, there is no qualification on that whatsoever. But I found myself wondering, this is how my cynical brain works, like when you were talking about how forgiving the medium is, like, is, there any, is there any snobbery around this idea of, ah, oh, for God's sake, well, she's working with clay, of course, like... No, I don't think there is. I don't think, I'm glad. No, not, not certainly about, about the, the media, no, yes. there isn't. There isn't. Yeah. Um, I don't think people realise how forgiving it is, actually. Right. Like, it's, yeah. it's, um, uh, it's for, forgiving and it's enjoyable. Yeah, I, I mean, you still have no. I suppose, I suppose, in my mind, you know, I, I kind of I'm picturing, um, you know, another sculptor who works in, you know, some other, you know, some other medium, and he's just like scathing, <laughs> of people who work with clay. No, but I, I, I think, I mean, every medium has its advantages and disadvantages. Of course, yeah. Um, the, like, so while while clay has certain advantages, it obviously has disadvantages yeah. as well. Like for example. Clay doesn't hold itself up. Uh, okay. It's he- really heavy. Yeah. So, like, if you want to, to make anything, you have to build an armature inside it that's that's rigid. Yes. If your armature isn't exactly right, it's going to stick out through your sculpture somewhere, and that will ruin the sculpture. So yeah. you have to, you have to. So that's be, a skill of its own. It is a skill of its own. Armature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so. So, for example, I've got a, a workshop coming up in in the RHA at the end of the month. Please, to, please promote that to sculpt a figure it's, yeah. it's actually it's sold fu- out it's fully sold out already um, the, 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 we'll, it'll be four day figure sculpture the whole of the first day is going to be spelled, spent making an armature and posing the armature to get it right so that so that it's so then that the work can begin so that the work can begin over the armature yeah. exactly yeah, yeah so the armature is just a skeleton basically but it has to be it has to be bang on and um, if it's not it'll really really cause problems down see the there line. you go I mean that's like that, that already is a metaphor for everything we're talking about, like the base work has yeah. to be done, the foundation yeah. has to be there. 
before the beauty, yeah. <laughs> before the thing can be built, and before you can actually show those skills on yeah. that you know that the outside you know comes yeah. to. Yeah. Um, far out. And look, um, you also were involved um, in another. Well, it's 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 ongoing, isn't it? Another competition at the moment, or another event, the beautiful bazaar art prize. Um, you were telling me the beautiful beautiful bazaar is a, a magazine. Um, out of Australia, and they have this yeah, they have they have this yeah. art prize that they they run every year, which is is open to anyone, basically artists yeah. all over the world, and you, you submit work, um. So I, I submit um, I submitted a sculpture um called Clash Titan that yeah. I, I sculpted um during the pandemic actually, and I delighted to learn recently that it's it was um it's a finalist in the sculpture section, and it's also up for the for this um. People's Choice Award. So, Excellent. Uh, it's it's in two categories now. The People's Choice Award is kind of um, it's a, a sort of a social media popularity contest. Basically, it's the one that gets yeah. the most votes wins. Yeah. Um, it means nothing. It's, it's <laughs> the the other the other category. The sculpture category is actually juried by other artists. So so uh, I suppose for me personally, that one would be a little bit more significant. Sure. Sure. Um, it's it's very unlikely I will win, win the, the, the people's choice because I my my following on social media is very modest. <laughs> oh, listen, I, believe me, I can relate. <laughs> um, but listen, tell me, I'm not sure if it's clear from uh, what you shared uh, about Clash Titan. Did you say who the model was for that? Or yeah, the model is actually he's a, he's a guy from Wexford. He's an English guy actually lives in Wexford. That, that I, I hired him to model for me. So but yeah. basically, I'll, I'll, in brief, I'll tell you the story about how it came about. Um, I was over in, in Italy, in Florence, actually, um, doing, I was actually working in a studio over there, doing some sculpture over there at the very beginning of the pandemic, so the early 2019. Okay. And I, I was just coming back just before things kind of started to happen. I kind of got uh, left and came back and um, I was sitting in the airport in Bologna and there was this guy walking around who was kind of like, he was kind of an aging hell's angel, basically. Yeah. He had the most incredible face and beard. Yeah. And he was walking up and down and I was like, if that guy's on my flight, I'm going to ask him to model for me when I get home. Just do a portrait of him. He was just yeah. a deep, brilliant look, really strong look. Um, as it turned out, he wasn't on my flight. Um, so when I got home, I did this little sculpture of him from memory, just yeah. like the size of a, like six inches, the size of a mug maybe, you know, mm. just that kind of size. And I took a photograph of it and I put it up on my social media and I kind of basically said, is there anyone out there who lives near me who looks like this? You know, I, I want to do a, do a, a, a portrait. So what ended up happening was that photograph got shared on a group that all of the guys that, that are extras on Vikings, you know, the television yes, program Vikings. Yeah, no, I've got a friend who does that. So yeah. they all look like this, basically. Yeah. You know, they're all these kind of bearded sort of guys. Exactly. And so eventually I... I, I one of this guy contacted me who kind of fit the bill. A lot of people contacted me were, were too young, actually. I wanted someone... A little bit older, a little bit more character in the face. Yeah. Um, so this guy contacted me, and this was during the pandemic, the early stages of the pandemic. So we were kind of a little bit unsure about he couldn't come into the studio and things like that. Sure. But, you know, we didn't know where, where yeah. the way things were going. So I just sat him in my garden and I took loads of photographs of him all the way around from above, yeah. below, and all the rest. And from those photographs, I sculpted a life size portrait of him. So, yeah. it, 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 same size as him. And then I enlarged that up to colossal size. So Clash Titan, this this sculpture that I that I've mentioned is two and a half meters tall. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and it's a portrait of a real person. Yeah. So the challenge, in addition to working at that large scale, which is is 
presents lots of technical challenges in itself. The challenge was to kind of try and maintain a likeness in the portrait while still yeah. at, at colossal size. Because if I if if I if I've got it right in my mind's eye, it's 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 like the head is sort of emerging from a plinth and then exactly. the beard is spilling over the exactly. sides. Exactly. So it's plinth. just a head and neck basically. Yeah. It's kind of sitting on a huge block and yeah. the, the his beard, which is quite I mean, it's sculpted in quite a fanciful way. His, his beard yeah. wasn't That's quite fantastic. the magnificent in real life. It's, yeah. it's big and full and curly. Is kind of almost merging with this block that yeah. it's sitting on. Um, and it was just, this was an idea that I'd had in my head for a while. And it, it, I suppose the pandemic and the various lockdowns just gave me a little bit of time and space to actually spend the time working on it, you know, and yeah. to, to, to do it. So, Excellent. so it's well, nice because it was, it was a personal project and it was a huge amount of work. Like it was a huge physical undertaking as well as the sort of artistic and technical challenges. Yeah. And it's kind of nice now that it's getting a little bit of recognition. That's, that's, I mean, again, Instagram, it's very hard to get a sense of scale. I didn't realise it was, it was as big as that. Yeah, it's quite big all right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but speaking of scale I also didn't realise until I was doing my research right. for this interview yesterday Michelangelo's David yeah is huge it's big yeah I, I always just assumed it was just a life size model no no it's big it's yeah. like yeah. nearly 6 metres yeah yeah. I, I was like oh yeah. <laughs> I was like alright I'm, I'm a complete idiot there's a couple the, the original one is in the Academia in Florence and it's one of the most astonishing pieces of art you'll ever see yeah. just, aside from the scale of it which you were describing the the, it's so beautifully presented that it's at the end of this long, long kind of atrium, under a, a purpose-built cupola, and it's it, it must be it, it must be beautiful. I mean, I saw some photographs of that yesterday, and I was like, wow, that must be yeah. breathtaking. Yeah. Like to look down that corridor you just described yeah. and see the statue there at the end, the light hitting it. It's it's really uh, striking, and I mean, it makes me think of one of the ancient wonders of the world, the Colossus of Rhodes. Yeah, and I think, well, my goodness. I mean, you know, they, they do this stuff in movies, you know, where I think it was in one of the Lord of the Rings movies that towards the end of the first one, the guys are coming down the river, but you've got those two huge sculptures. Yeah, with the, yeah, with the hand out. Yeah, yeah. And it is, it, it speaks to something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think particularly because we're looking at humans. Yeah. There's something about, oh, you get this, the animal tremor of that's a bigger animal than me. Yeah. It's a bigger one of me. Yeah. And it's, it, it speaks to us, yeah, I think. Yeah in a very primal yeah. way. Um, I also found out yesterday, apart from how tall David was, um, and, and again, this is, I'm, I, in my uneducated brain, I was going, oh yeah, there's a direct link between the work that you're doing and Michelangelo's David. And that's, yeah. I mean, I know that's, you can go, that is absurd. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, but, but I mean, aesthetically, we're, we're talking about the same like you know figurative and portrait sculpture yeah. that is naturalistic yeah. it's faithful to human anatomy there's nothing modernist or funky or no, departing no, I, from the norm you know, I would say like um, I suppose the um, impulse to be modern or contemporary is a little bit a, it's a kind of a dangerous one Um my impulse is to be timeless, if possible. And by timeless, I mean, I don't mean old-fashioned. Like, timelessness is a word that's oh, kind no, of no, so, no, no, sometimes... No, I understand um, what you mean. Yeah, yeah. like, to, I, I, I heard timeless described as eternally timely. And I nice. like that, like, you that's know. That's it, that's it, yeah. And that, that's why if, if you see um, contemporary figurative sculpture like mine and you make a connection with, with 
what was going on in the Renaissance. <laughs> like, obviously, yeah. I'm very, very flattered by that, but it's because it's, I think it's because work, it's work that falls into this timeless category mm. you know, that, that's kind of, that doesn't sort of go out of fashion. Right? Yeah. It isn't, isn't by kind of burdened with contemporary critical thought. Well, there's, like, the there's a great, there's a great sort of purity yeah. in that, an artistic mm-hmm. purity. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I think it takes a confidence to, to walk that line um, and just bear with me because the, the, the analogy I would make from the world of karate is if I was asked to step out on the floor in front of one of the kind of, you know, the, the great Japanese masters, on one level, I would much rather be asked to demonstrate something very complicated and tricky convoluted and sort of of my level I would much rather be asked to do that than to be asked to throw a single punch Mm. because in the simplicity of the single punch you're completely exposed you're completely naked and those masters they don't need to see anything else anyway to go I know what your karate is like I know what type of practitioner you are And there's a sort of a Zen purity to that. Can you execute everything with as little as possible and demonstrate all of your craft and skill yeah. in something that's just a single movement? Yeah, to distill it down into exactly. something so simple. Yeah. And um, that's you know that's that that's that's what I'm saying. I mean, when when I see what you're doing, I go well. In a way, we can sort of hide in complexity and modernity. And we can obfuscate, obfuscate, you know, um, maybe the, 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 a lack, you know, less skill or less history or experience or craft or investment. Um, and that's maybe the nature of a lot of modern, you know, a, a lot of modernism. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm not speaking purely in terms of a mod, you know, the modernist school Um but I, I think I think we're 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 in the same area. Yeah. The sad thing is that our students are trying to do that. Mm. Um. And they're not given a, an alternative. Like um, uh, contemporary art education is uh, very very narrow. There, you know, it's very, it's almost a form of brainwashing. Like you know, mm. um, and I think you know students are not given the opportunity to learn skills, and they're not given the opportunity to to kind of express themselves in any other way other than this kind of sort of it's almost a pseudo-religious kind of jargon that they, that well God, jargon of course I mean we, we're talking about jargon and jargon and lingo I mean art criticism has this levelled at it all the time like you can read a review of art and go oh my goodness where is this language coming from yeah, yeah. Um, but if you need to resort to that there's something wrong you know there's something <laughs> missing yes I don't know I, I mean my own thinking is that Many in many kind of training environments, and this wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily. I mean, I think it's particularly relevant when we're talking about artistic disciplines. Um, they can be subject to trends. They can be subject to, you know, yeah. a new you know wave of thinking about something, and you think, well, wow. I mean, that generation of practitioners are going to be completely kind of stamped with that view just because that was what was popular at yeah, the time yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And but but I mean, speaking about art, art colleges have a duty to teach fundamental skills because sure. they don't change. You know, Basically. they don't they don't change, um, and they're failing in that duty. Yeah. Uh, and Irish art colleges are failing like abjectly in that duty. Yeah. Really, right. really, really desperately badly. Like the the um, like uh, students graduate from from fine art courses in Ireland with nothing. They are thrown off a cliff. But they're brainwashed into thinking they're artists, which is the bizarre thing. Mm. This is fantastic. This is gold. This is gold, <laughs> Alan. Um, that's quite an indictment. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you you feel like that's what you're seeing in like new emerging yeah. talent, yeah. new artists coming yeah. out. You know, where, where piles of garbage on on the floors of galleries and stuff like that, like you know, yeah, well, found objects, that kind of bullshit. Yeah, there you go. I mean, this speaks to me. I'm just like, okay, I, I. But that you're going. That's not art. I love it. Yeah. We're back to the the honed mind, the honed eye, and the honed hand. Um. Amazing, amazing. Um, two things, th- three things. We're just going to quickly visit before we're, we're going to wrap up. We know yeah. you've got places to go. You've got, <laughs> you've got art to uh, dismiss. <laughs> um, another thing I found out about the the, the David uh, the, the David sculpture yesterday was that um, apparently, and again you're, you're going to go, yeah, I know this, but I didn't. Um, the hands are really big and the head is really big apparently. Yeah. Yeah. proportionally because this idea of well you're down on the ground looking up at it so it makes is that was that the idea that yeah well I, I I don't I think I from what I understand there's a couple of schools of thought about that 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 um yes the head and hands are too big that's for sure and yes the the um the the sort of story that does the rounds is that the, the this was the David was designed to be up on the facade of the Duomo of the cathedral in Florence so okay so it was to be looked up at from a, from quite a low angle. Yeah, and he was compensating for the fact that you were going to be looking at it from that angle. Um, I don't think that's the case because, from as far as I'm aware, they actually put a replica of the David up on the Duomo at one stage, and okay. it didn't work like that. That perspective trick didn't work. Okay. Um, when Michelangelo was working on the David, um, I think there's a, a theory that. He was working in a courtyard in the Opera del Duomo in Florence and he wasn't actually able to get far enough back from his work because it's so big, as you yeah. said, to actually judge it correctly. Oh, so... So you need to be able to step back from your work to take it in in one yeah, glance. Yeah, sure, you know sure. What I mean. so, yeah. so that it was actually, like, the head and hands are, are too big and it's a mistake, plain yeah. and simple. Now, I don't know what the truth of that is. I'm, I'm, well, I'm, look, I've I'm, always thought that Michelangelo's overrated. I'm, I'm with you. regurgitating stories that I've heard, so, so I, I, as I well, said, I'm not a third, a third theory that I came across yesterday was that it wasn't accidental, that it was deliberate, and that the larger hands, now I don't know how this actually translates, but the larger hands and the larger head created the effect of making David appeal appear more alert and more ready for battle because he's carrying his slingshot mm. over the shoulder and the stone in his hand and he's about to attack Goliath. Yeah. And that was, I mean, again, I'm kind of going, well, why would that make him appear more battle ready? Yeah, I haven't heard alert? that one before. Now, yeah. So, and um, 
As in, come on this podcast, you're going to learn yeah, stuff every yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> um, how would that... I don't know about that. That's, that's, I know, that, that yeah, but I, 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 yeah, that's what's... I mean, I'm yeah. always drawn to the idea of drama and story. Yeah, that's the yeah, actor yeah. in me. And I go, oh, okay, yeah. bigger hands, more... And funny enough, speaking of bigger hands, like sometimes when I've trained with really experienced uh, karate practitioners, you know, masters for want of a better word, like you do, you find yourself looking at hands and feet yeah. and kind of going, woof, that, that foot could do a lot of damage. Yeah, that yeah. hand could do a lot of damage. Yeah. And you're talking about the instruments yeah. and just the, the, the evident power, strength and skill. Uh, and you're talking about those being honed weapons. And you do kind of go, I don't want to fight that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, look, I know that there's other things we didn't touch on. You, I mean, you, you, got, you, you were invited, invited out to Moscow to teach portrait sculpture in Moscow. Is that right? Yes, I was. Yeah. Just um, before all this awfulness in Ukraine started. It was yeah. last year. It was actually this time last year. Um, I was over there for about two weeks. Yeah, teaching a workshop so that was an, it was an amazing experience I'd say so what yeah. was the what was the, the, the level of work like it was very good like yeah. so so two of the two of the students in the workshop were actually also students at one of the academies in Moscow so they really knew what they were doing so yeah. the standard of the participants in the workshop was very high yeah which made me look really good because they all got a great outcome at the end of it like, yeah you know, right um, but it was quite daunting at the beginning because obviously you know I really had to sort of uh, Proved that I knew what I was talking about. Sure, but but, um, but that's kind of exhilarating. Yeah, it was well, great. It? it was great, and it was great that, that like there was no total beginners at it. Like you know, so we were able to. I was teach able to at a high level. Teach a pretty high level, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was. Um, you know, we, we were able to really hit the ground running. And Did you have a translator? Or were they all English speakers? They were. Some of them were English speakers, and some of them was a little bit of translating going on. But it was. Yeah. It was the, the the communication wasn't a problem. Yeah, because you're um, Russian. You've been fluent for years. <laughs> no, I'm not fluent in Russian, unfortunately. Um, but they no, I I was only speaking English, but there was enough, you know, uh, English speakers in the group that yeah. that communication was fine. Um, right. Uh, and the only the, the the guy who modelled was a he was a. a elderly man from the nearby orthodox church okay so he was one of these like square beard sure. like you know the yeah. whole the, the, the look of the sort of orthodox uh, yeah Russian orthodox but, and uh, so he was a brilliant model to have you know yeah um, so yeah it was, it was a great experience all in all and it's a terrible shame what's happened since oh. know, that that Mr. Putin is determined that Russia has everything except friends you know it's yeah it's, uh, no I've I've yeah I've held forth on this topic already. I'm not going to, uh, I, I, yeah. I don't want to get bogged down in that, but it is. It's it's desperate, and you know it's also there's something like I was lucky enough to be in um in Saint Petersburg uh in two thousand and four doing a play over there in the studio at the Mali Theatre, um this miraculous achievement pulled off by the producer of this tiny little Irish theatrical yeah. production, um, but I just felt like I was stepping back into some wonderful artistic you know legacy heritage tradition yeah. something about how russians where they put artists in society yeah i i mean maybe i'm totally romanticizing this no i, I mean I, I would agree with that and i i may be romanticizing it as well but like i i feel that they've been much more faithful to like real artistic traditions than than we have yeah um that, that it's probably a Western we, we so, have lost it? our way a little yeah. bit um, in recent times, and um, I think that that uh, you know 
Russia maybe Eastern Europe generally has been a little bit more kind of state the course let's say in, in, in an artistic sense so this is maybe this is the, the upside of communism the upside of not being just absorbed by the, the, the capitalist consumerist yeah, aesthetics well, of the well, West I, I don't know <laughs> I think a, that's in the mix I mean big, I do think that's in the mix yeah, really. yeah. Um, and they're certainly their um, approach to art, art education is is very different to ours. Like mm. they still have these academies that are, are teaching basic basic skills very well. Yeah. Um, and we don't have anything like that here. Like we we to, at one time the the you know NCAD or the Metropolitan School of Art as it was at the time taught skills and that was all thrown out the window. You know. It's, right. It's uh, it's never recovered from it unfortunately. Well, as you said earlier, maybe maybe that'll uh, turn back around. Maybe yeah. there'll be a, a revolution yeah. slowly, slowly, a slow turning of the wheel. Yeah. Um, but um, in the meantime, you'll be um, you'll be uh, ploughing your lonely furrow. I'll be ploughing my lonely furrow. It's not that lonely. You yeah. Know? There, there are. You know, it's, it's like I, I, I have. Uh, um, thankfully, uh, uh, you know, my art, my work is very well received. Yeah. Um, I can see why I think it's fantastic. Uh, more so recently outside of Ireland, like which is great. Like that's yeah. really what I'm, what I'd like. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's happening, so I'm I'm very pleased. You know. Oh well, no, you should be because I mean. The, 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 so I'm happy to plough that lonely. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, look at <laughs> and you, you've clearly you've put the work in, yeah. and the, as I say, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, yeah. and the 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 end products certainly to my untrained eye. Um, they, they look fantastic. I hate the idea that you have to have a trained eye to appreciate yeah. it. See, that's the thing. I know. And listen, I've picked up yeah, on that yeah, through yeah. a couple of things we said yeah, um, yeah, through yeah. this interview. So but, if um, my work appeals to someone who has untrained eye, I'm succeeding yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Like that's that's. Uh, yeah. No. Look, and do you know what? I'm I'm glad I'm glad you picked me up on that because ultimately, um, that's me falling victim to, um sort of a, an intellectual snobbery and yeah. feeling insecure around oh well I don't know if I know enough about yeah. art yeah, yeah. but I mean I know what I like yeah. and I know what I don't like and to, to a large extent that's all that you need like like having a having a deeper understanding of art of any type of art even the yeah. type that I've been dismissing for the yes. last half an hour yeah. um, is enriches your experience of it of but you don't need that you shouldn't need that just to look at something and go wow that's amazing yeah. like art should be magnificent it's on a, it should be on a pedestal yeah. It's kind of been torn from its eminence a little bit. In, in, in hmm. I, I feel a little bit in the last. Like art, to some extent, has lost its power to astonish, and um, we need to sort of fight to put it back there. You know? Okay, look, you keep raising brilliant points. I mean, then I go, well, is the problem as much we're not so easily astonished? That's in the mix, because otherwise, I I kind of go, well, I don't know, I don't know. Does does everything then push towards? No, like, how do you find a way back in? And I mean, that's part of how we receive things as well. Oh, yeah. I think oh, yeah. it's like, oh, are you taking? I mean, but you know, it's what you say. Like, I mean, maybe art has been torn from you know it, 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 its previous position yeah. of, of eminence, and then it's about well, how do you make people care again? Yeah. So they're gonna go. I want to look at this. Yeah. And I want to engage with it. Yeah. Because so much stuff is just like. Yeah, but like, I, it possibly is a is a that might be a factor, but. If, for, for example, if you are someone, if you're a lover of nature, mm. you, 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 lo you love trees or whatever, and you see a tree, and you're like, my God, that is a beautiful tree. Yeah. 
it doesn't matter if you're then on the TikTok for the next hour, like you'll see the next tree and you'll be like, oh, it is a beautiful tree. Like, yeah. Like I think the the power that art has to astonish is not something that we're going to lose in in a generation. You know? mm. Um it's something that's much more I, I, I mentioned earlier on about this response we have to things that are produced with skill or yes. are, you know and uh, that's something innate in us it's not something that's that's going that we're going to lose just because we all have smartphones if you know sure. I mean. like it's, sure it's it's deeper than that it's fundamental and um i think maybe we have to get back a little bit to appreciating it but but it's it's still there it's know? still fundamentally a human experience yeah exactly exactly yeah, yeah. and it's an important one because it's it's part of our survival it's part of how we exist in the world like you know mm. because like this this innate appreciation we have of things being done well that's what keeps society going basically mm. you know mm. that's the, the fella that you get to sort of do your stonemasonry for you yeah you want him to do it well you sure. need to be able to recognize when it's been done well like you know or to no it's nice anything else like you know? what it does is you're pulling this back to craft and aesthetic and dedication and that relationship to um you know producing something good yeah. um and a level of, of workmanship craftsmanship um and that is like that's what that, that, that for me that's good energy mm. and it is sustaining yeah. and it's solid and tangible um and i respond to that and particularly if you put that up against my theory that this is an age of anxiety um those are the touchstones that will help keep us well. Yeah. And your work is contributing to that. Oh, thank you. Because it is exactly what I was just describing. It is tangibly, aesthetically there. You can feel it, you can see it, and it speaks to something. Um, and it speaks to that. What you're saying is something that go, I can actually build a world on looking at a piece of that sculpture yeah. and I think that maybe that's one way of understanding you know the power of art yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah. Alan this has been brilliant you've been an absolute tonic thank you very and much I just love hearing your thoughts and your opinions on art describing your own work it's been yeah it's been magic thanks so much for, for coming over not at all thank you for having me delighted brilliant I'll thank talk you. to you soon take it easy see you man so there you go that was Alan Clark what a uh, what a great guy! What an interesting and eloquent guy. Loved hearing him speak about art and speak about his his career and his background. Um, really, uh, yeah, educational and interesting and very very cool. So um, I hope you uh, I hope you enjoyed it too. Um, yeah. Yeah, great stuff. And as I said uh, before, there will be a link to Alan's Instagram profile in uh, in the description of this episode. So check it out. Okay, that's it. That's it for another week. Um, do feel free to reach out on social media to share any thoughts or responses, comments. You can find me on youtube and facebook and instagram it's the clear out podcast you can also find me on twitter at the clear out 2 and if you want to send me an email 
it is the clear out live at gmail.com as ever if you want to contribute to this independent podcast you can do so using the supporter link uh, which you'll find in the description or if you want to become a regular contributor a patron if you will you can use the patreon link that is patreon.com forward slash the clear out where you can make a small monthly contribution to the show also known as the tell and i'd be grateful for anything at all you can give just to help keep this thing going and make me feel like it has legs that's it so thanks again for listening thanks as always for listening and i will be back next week with more of the same it's the clear out it's wellness with attitude and i hope you'll be able to join me okay keep it real keep it artistic keep the faith and as always mind yourselves all the best see ya bye